And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. John Vance, pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. Likewise, I'm happy to be here. Well, gentlemen, it's good to have you here in the studio again. And uh, I know, John, you were running up here all the way from Rock Tavern and uh, encountered uh, some traffic, uh, and you got even lost there for a little while, I believe. Lost on a detour, but that's life. (laughs) (laughs) I get lost all the time. Well, um, on the agenda today is a very interesting question, and it's rather simple. And it's simply this, what must I do to be saved? It's a question that seems that is wired into the very consciousness of the human psyche. We realize that somehow, some way, uh, we are separated from God, that we, we need uh, to be right with him. It's like his image is imprinted on us, and yet there's this chasm between us and God. And the very basic question comes up time and again, what must I do to be saved? There's a preceding question is, uh, must I be saved? Or what is there that requires that I be saved? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we have to deal with that. You know, uh, that's a, w- a good way to put it. Should I be saved? Yeah. Uh, many people may say, I have no need. But on the other hand, yeah. their whole life indicates that something is wrong. Either they will uh, uh, try to restore themselves in some kind of way, even through mm-hmm. some very modern and wonderful things. I know a lot of a lot of people, no doubt, in the health movement have uh, substituted some of that for salvation and mm-hmm. running i've I've run for years but mm-hmm. uh, i keep trying to remember saint paul's uh, admonition that exercise profited us some but godliness much more mm-hmm. <laughs> but there is a sense in which we need uh to be uh saved mm. and uh, it's a great question in fact the philippian jailer's question what must i do to be, be saved, saved yeah is a wonderful question the late uh if I can elaborate on this, the late Walter Kaufman, a philosopher who taught at Princeton, not a Christian, in fact, hostile to Christianity, but he made a wonderful, wonderful uh, remark or had a wonderful insight in one of his works when he said, we asked two questions. Does God exist? He says, in some sense, most people would say yes, and that's not the most important question. (laughs) The second question is, though, what must I do to be saved? Because the way you answer that will locate you and your beliefs and your understanding of reality. Mm -hmm. We have a need for fellowship with our Creator. Some time ago we discussed creation on this program, and we learned and asserted that God has created us in His own image. Yet that doesn't uh, give us an automatic position of salvation, does it? No, it, one of the things that we see when God created Adam and Eve, initially they didn't need salvation. They had this perfect fellowship, and it was only when they sinned, when they disobeyed mm-hmm. God, then we have this whole area of alienation. And it's one of the things that I think we need to understand, that we are now all, uh, if you will, inheritors of this sin that mm-hmm. Adam and Eve had, And therefore, we have this alienation with God. And many people, and this is one of the things, you know, you hear it expressed glibly, we're all children of God. Not true. We're all creation of God. 
but only some are children of God, and they're the ones who are saved. Mm-hmm. And so uh, let's review that really quick. Um, back in the Garden of Eden, um, God creates man in his own image, male and female, and prior to some point in time, they have this perfect fellowship with Creator God, with right. the triune God of the Scriptures. Right. And then when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, mm-hmm. they realized, one, that they were naked, and two, that their relationship with God had changed dramatically because when God came into the garden, they hid themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that, that is mm-hmm. a, a, a powerful, powerful passage there at the beginning and, and uh, very, very important for the rest of the Bible. If there is no fall, there is no story of redemption in the gospel. But the truth is, the Bible indicates right away that Adam and Eve departed or left from God. We call it falling away, the the great fall. Mm -hmm. And notice that not only did they depart from God and refuse to do his will, they then tried to hide themselves. Mm -hmm. And that indicates a willful, um, what should I say, not wanting fellowship with God, a rejection of the things of God. And that's the problem. There's a certain hostility uh, in us toward God. I think all through history, biblical history, you see that in terms of even the fear of God. When Moses went up onto the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel were terrified of God. As Second Corinthians tells us, when Moses came down, his face shone so much that he needed to put a veil on it. That mm. Because of the glory of God, and that again indicative of of the alienation of man from God mm-hmm. uh, because of the sin. Yeah, through the fall, our status changed from friendship with God to hostility yeah. mm-hmm. toward God, enemies with God, and that is the key, I think, in understanding the the, the Bible. So um, this is kind of like uh, having parents, and and kind of like the genes, and kind of become what your parents are, but in a very profound sense here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam and Eve are our first parents. Uh, they fall. They fall from some estate where they were created mm-hmm. uh, by, by eating this forbidden fruit. And unfortunately, but very true, uh, this sin and alienation of Adam and Eve from God is now passed down to their posterity. Yes, uh, quite true. Now, lots of questions come about how is it passed down. Hmm. Uh, Certainly the whole individual was affected by the fall, uh, spiritually, biologically, every which way. Hmm. But regardless of trying to trace it in some uh, particular way, one thing is for sure God rendered it certain, as we were represented in Adam, that his posterity would also be represented by his fall, mm-hmm. declared by God to be so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the uh, texts that comes to mind is uh, Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's, capital M, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So that verse from Romans really confirms that um, this action of Adam and Eve in the garden, sinning against God, resulted in all mankind inheriting 
the curse. Now, that's hard for modern people to appreciate uh, uh, for many and various reasons because uh, uh, in our individualism, which I like, mm-hmm. uh, we we fail to understand, the the I think, the representative approach that the Bible takes. Adam was truly our representative. Right. And when he fell, we fell in him. But, of course, the corollary and the wonderful good news is that Christ Jesus, our Lord, is also our representative, and we are saved through him. Well, let's hold that thought right there. I see we're up against the clock here. Today you're listening to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Our opening question today was this, what must I do to be saved? Stay with us now. We'll be right back. stories But they all sound too good to be true You've heard about a place called home But there doesn't seem to be one for you So one more night you cry yourself to sleep We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. When love takes you in Everything changes A miracle starts With the beat of a A new life begins 
takes you in for And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. In the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. Today's discussion is, What Must I Do to Be Saved? Prior to our break, we were talking about how that Adam and Eve fell, and that uh, we actually inherited their actual guilt. So, gentlemen, where do we go from here? Well, we need a Savior, and of course part of the reason for that is our sin is so great, it's far beyond what we can handle. Now, this is counterintuitive to a lot of feelings in society. Usually people feel, well, if I've done something wrong, I can make up for it. And we find out we can't, and not when it comes to God. Well, one reason I think for that is, and I think R.C. Sproul emphasizes this in one of his uh, lectures, Uh, One of the reasons that we think we can do something for ourselves is that we fail to perceive the holiness of God and the greatness of our offense. Mm -hmm. And that's key because when we understand that our offense is against a holy God, an infinite God, a creator God, and here we are, finite individuals, against that, um, our offense grows with who we offend. I see. In, yeah. in, in, in other words, maybe I can just give a little illustration for this. If a dog bites another dog, it's a bad thing. It's a bad dog, okay? If a dog bites a child, mm-hmm. that dog is dead meat. <laughs> you know, It's a greater offense because a child is a, a much greater individual than the other dog was. That mm-hmm. is true. The, the uh, consideration of who God is right. and that we in our pride and... Uh, what should I say, egocentrism would dare to offend his majesty. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, Rightly invites the wrath of God, and in fact we are under his wrath, says St. Paul. Mm -hmm. I've heard it said from a number of people that the notion of uh, good works and saying that, well, I, I expect to do many good things in my life and live a good life and help people, maybe establish a foundation do this, do that, do the other thing. And that's not to say that those things shouldn't be done. Thank God that these things are being done. But in terms of our relationship with God and how that that relationship was breached, how that we're now alienated from him, it takes more than just good works, doesn't it? Well, uh, good works are are very important, but the question is where do you put them? If you put them in a certain order, you're saving yourself, and you have yeah, no yeah. Savior. Yeah. Uh, but we believe that we are saved through the work and merits of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that seems to be the plain and simple teaching of the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. It's the Gospel. Right. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, even before your salvation, uh, what are our, is our righteousness in Scripture's eyes? All our righteousness is filthy rags, yes. is what it's called. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, when our righteousness is filthy rags, we realize that we need somebody else's righteousness. <laughs> and that passage in Romans, that verse in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 8, is a marvelous verse, mm. for it essentially tells us that Christ did something for us that we could not do for ourselves exactly. when it says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul goes on to say he dies for the ungodly. So mm-hmm. he does something for us while we are in our sins, mm. 
to forgive us that we might then be to his praise. Mm -hmm. So all people, even if on the surface they look like, comparatively speaking to other people, that they may be quote-unquote good, um, the Bible teaches that all are unrighteous as compared to God. And uh, further, that they really are kind of like dead men, aren't they? They don't automatically seek after God on their own. Well, the scriptures, first of all, clearly say that what Adam's offense was and what he says, of course, is our status before God. He represented us. Mm -hmm. But in fact, we're actual sinners. We not only are sinners by our state, we are sinners by nature. And we have our own sins. You know, the shadow. I don't know if you guys might be too young to remember the voice of the shadow. (laughs) But he used to cry out, who knows what evil lurks in the heart (laughs) of man. Well, appearances can be deceiving. And um, sometimes circumstances in life cover things up. And sometimes they will reveal truly what's in the human heart. But anyway, all have sinned, says Romans. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yeah. yeah, so we're all guilty before him. And so, therefore, it is very appropriate to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Yeah, yeah. we are alienated from the God who loves us, and uh, he has put in place a wonderful plan whereby mankind can be reunited in covenant love with our Creator, God. Right, when we have that question, what must I do to be saved? Paul's simple answer to that Philippian jailer, which is where that question comes from, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And we believe on Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there's content to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, in Romans, uh, just sticking with this book, I I have a a number of verses that I use to share with people. It's Mm -hmm. called the Romans Road. Mm -hmm. But after the the, uh, one verse I quoted, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The next verse that I use in that order is Romans 6.23. Yeah. And it's beginning to turn us away from ourselves and to turn us to Christ. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our mm-hmm. Lord. Mm-hmm. So we are pointed to Christ and it is through him that we are saved. Now, we may have to refine that and understand exactly what that means, but it is in him that we are saved. I'm so thankful for that uh, statement that there's life through Christ. You know, it wasn't too long ago I came through losing my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she passed away. That was a physical death. And, um, you know, way back there in the Garden of Eden... All of this death and and chaos ensued, didn't it? Both spiritual as well as physical. Now, God didn't remove the curse of physical death this side of eternity, but thank God he did make it possible for us to have spiritual life. And also, also for God's people, someday there will be a resurrection from the dead and we will inherit our new glorified bodies. I know I'm going beyond the discussion here a bit, but uh, that too is is in view here as Christ redeems his people. I've used a big word there. Mm-hmm. As he redeems his people, he gives them a tremendous inheritance. Wonderful. And um, 
uh, you, speaking of big words, there are, of course, in the Bible a number of big words that have to do with our right. uh, being saved. Mm. And uh, maybe they are what I used to call 50-cent words, <laughs> big ones. <laughs> uh, but we need uh, to use them. And maybe there are no substitutes that we can use for those big words. Mm-hmm. Right. And rather than uh, someone said to me, well, you shouldn't use those words. People don't understand them. I prefer to have people to be uh, trained and brought up in such a way that they learn sure, those words sure, so right. that they, too, can uh, use them and understand the riches of God's gift of salvation in mm. Jesus Christ. And, and, and that is it. It's the riches of it. There's so much that really went on mm. on that cross. And when Jesus died and rose again, that mm-hmm. you know, it's good to look at the different little aspects of what it is that he did when he saved mm-hmm. us. Well, it's called an atonement, for instance. An atonement. Now, there you go. There's, there's a great <laughs> word for you. The atonement. We got three Hebrew words for the atonement. Hmm. Kafar, cheta, and ratzah. Three different Hebrew words for the atonement. Mm-hmm. And it talks about different things, which, by the way, the actual word atonement is never really used in the New no, Testament. It's, not. it's an English word. <laughs> it's an English word. But That's it, interesting. It, but that English word translates those three Hebrew words. So what what are some of the meanings of that? Well, the word atonement is, is a very simple word in one sense, if you look at it. At one meant uh-huh. to be brought into agreement or with one with God. Formerly right. we were mm-hmm. his enemies. Yeah. And it is through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection that we are restored to a certain oneness or fellowship. That yeah. is the, the word atonement is a terrific word. Now we started off our discussion today with the question, what must I do to be saved? And here we are now talking about atonement. And I like that illustration at one meant and, uh, you know, you may be out there listening saying, well, they haven't really answered the question yet. <laughs> Not <laughs> well, entirely. It's but, taken uh, a little while, but, but, but we're getting there. You have to see what Christ did and see uh, how we are related to that. Uh, but that at one moment, uh, yeah. Christ accomplished right. on the cross. You know, we just came through the celebration, yes, of Good Friday mm-hmm. and Easter uh, and his resurrection. So you have his death and resurrection, and it made us, through the power of God, at one with him. And we'll see how that is done and accomplished in us, but the word atonement is a great word. Yeah. Yeah, it it focuses a lot on on how we're made one with Christ because of what he did with our sin. Uh, It often talks about that, and of course in the Old Testament we have a day of atonement and uh, various other things, you know to atone for one's sins. And it really focuses on sometimes covering your sins or canceling your sins. Forgiveness. or, or Forgiveness, or, mm-hmm. or taking those sins away. One of the English words that is also used in connection with atonement is expiation. Strange mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. But X means out, right? X, you know, uh, and, so X is out. Right. And and it kind of harkens back to Leviticus 16, where you have the two goats in the temple. And, and the one is called the Lord's goat. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the goat that's called the scapegoat. And this expiation is kind of the, the scapegoat where the kind of the sins are put on that scapegoat. And he's mm-hmm. sent out into the wilderness 
to go away, to disappear. Yeah. I'm sorry, hitting the mic here. Okay. As far as the, <laughs> you know, as it says in Psalm 103, 12, our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the, the idea. Our sins are are removed. So when yeah, Christ whatever. dies on the cross, he is, in fact, our representative who is taking God's judgment to remove our sins. He's that's our right. substitute. There's the other key piece right there. So here is Jesus having taken on human flesh and yet being perfect without sin. So by his death, then, God sees that as satisfying his wrath, takes Christ's perfect righteousness, places it on our account. And so now, through Christ, we can stand before God the Father holy, not because we have a holiness of our own, but because of Jesus. Right. Or as the scripture says, the righteous dying for the unrighteous in mm, right. his life. Yeah. John, you, you brought up this thing. You use the words, uh, he substitute as an atonement. And, of course, we sometimes call our salvations what Christ did, the substitutionary atonement oh, yes. for our sin, which, sadly enough, many uh, liberal theologians today reject that. Mm-hmm. Reject the substitutionary atonement. Oh, they'll talk about Christ and reconciliation, but they don't like that. Christ is merely an example for them. Now, example, he exactly. is that. Yeah, no question. But, but he's more do. than that. That's he, in right. fact, gave his life for us in That's our right. place. He took, exactly. as, as Martin Luther uh, once says, you know Luther a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that when Christ died, he died the world's greatest sinner. That's right. Not because mm-hmm. he had sinned, but because he took upon himself took on our, sin our sins mm-hmm. yes. and carried it away so yeah, that we yeah. could be forgiven. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I see we're already out of time for this edition of A Plain Answer today. We have about uh, just a few seconds left. Just some wrap-up thoughts on this overall question of what must I do to be saved? Well, I would say the key thing here is to recognize first that you're alienated from God and then to recognize that you can't find salvation in yourself, but you have to see it in what God has done for us in sending Jesus Christ to die for us. Mm-hmm. And tune in next week because we'll try to give you the other half and answer the question more fully. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. a big question. Yeah, yeah it really is. Yeah. And we, we're so short on time on this little program. Thanks so much for joining us today. In the studio has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. John Vance, pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Be sure to tune in next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.